0: Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Hey guys, welcome to season six of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. I am so grateful to each and every one of you who have been tuning in to the freedom stories of the individuals who have graciously agreed to come on and share with each of you. So let's keep going. Season six starts now. Hey guys, welcome to another week of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. I'm excited to introduce to you today a friend. And a fellow Ohio friend, uh, Britt Eaton, who we just found out, we only live probably about an hour and a half away from each other, which is so cool. So (laughs) thanks, Britt, for coming
1: on. Oh, Gina, thank you so much for having me. I love these cool kingdom connections that I get to make Mm -hmm. online. And then to find out we are so close together, like how precious and special is that God is so good to connect his people. It's so good to meet you. And I'm so honored to be on with you today.
0: Yes. And thank you again. It is so cool. Cause I didn't realize how many people in the writer speaker circle were not even like less than two hours from me. So awesome.
1: I love yeah, it. He likes to bring his people together. It's all good. Yes,
0: he does. <laughs> Can you tell my listeners more about yourself?
1: Yes, uh, my name is Britt Eaton. I am a writer, speaker, and discipler, and I work with uh, I work with corporations, I work with churches, ministries, and individuals to help them find the words to say to move people to action. Um, I have a sweet spot for working in the nonprofit space, but I work with all kinds of companies um, and organizations that are busy doing what I call kingdom work, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and through that, whether they're believers or believers or not, they are oftentimes attracted to the Jesus in me. So, mm-hmm. uh, Holy Spirit and I get to do a lot of co-creation and a lot of really fun and unexpected places. So I absolutely love my work. Um, I'm actually a published author as well. I have a book that I wrote uh, back in 2020 with uh, Bill Vanderbush called Reckless Grace. Mm -hmm. And then I have a new book that is coming out uh, July 26th this year uh, with uh, co-authored with my friend, George Wood from Tampa, Florida. That book is called the Uncovery. And it is all about basically taking a new look at how we're doing recovery Christian Christ-centered recovery and seeing ways that we can potentially bring about some much-needed reform in the recovery space. So in doing this and in sharing some of my testimony live, there are many, many places in my story, my own journey of recovery that I have had to walk through, unpack, and watch my story unfold throughout the years to now be able to testify to God's goodness. Uh, It is Mm -hmm. just wild, the journey he has brought me on and the healing that he has brought in my life, uh, personally in my family, and then the healing that I've been able to then pass that grace along to others so that they can find healing as well. But, uh, yeah, you can find my work at bradyeaton.com. i I write all kinds of things, but I also love connecting with fellow writers, fellow speakers, uh, fellow kingdom chasers, people like me who just want to see, uh, the goodness of God in the land of the living. So that's a little about me.
0: <laughs> Amen to all of that. And I will put links to everything in the show notes. Um, what you talk you talked for a brief second, um, about like recovery and everything. So, mm-hmm. what happened in your story? Hold on a second, bandit, stop it. Sorry, my cat. He's choosing now. <laughs> come here, turd. Oh, come here. He's choosing. He's choosing right now to be a turd. Of course, of course. Hi, kitty.
1: Bandit, go away.
0: Sorry. He was, okay, he was pounding the blinds right next to me. I'm like, "Come on, dude! <laughs> he never misbehaves." I rebuke you, cat. <laughs> so, anywho, um, back to what I was saying. So, you talked briefly about um, recovery. Um, how does all that factor into your story?
1: Yeah. So my story actually started when I was very, very young. Um, I grew up, uh, in a good Christian home. Um, I grew up in a little Nazarene church in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, I was a good little God girl, I guess is the way that I can describe <laughs> it. I one of my earliest memories was being in, uh, Sunday school class where we all marched up to the front of the sanctuary that morning passed the microphone down the line and we all prayed the sinner's prayer and I think Mm -hmm. as a little girl I believed what I was saying but Mm -hmm. um, I entered into um, an upbringing that for better or for worse it was kind of rooted in a lot of legalism that I wasn't really aware of and that wasn't Mm -hmm. a Nazarene thing it wasn't a cultural thing it was just I only knew a lot about God. I just didn't really know him at all. So Mm -hmm. flash forward into my life, having context as um, a a teenager, an early teenager, the struggles that came about in my life were, gosh, just much more than I expected. They They were struggles that most people assume that good little Christian girls don't struggle with they don't they don't encounter these things they don't encounter these problems so uh, my early life um, I struggled with anxiety depression struggled with an eating disorder and um, just found love in all the wrong places like found friendships in all the wrong places I was chasing after anything and everything that was not God while still putting on this pretty little Sunday school hat in the right circles when I needed to Mm -hmm. um you know, my parents, my my mom was a pastor's kid. My dad was a church choir director. Like I really, really knew how to look the part and look good on the surface. But mm-hmm. underneath, I was just really, really wrestling with, I mean, reasons to live. I mean, I was, I was caught up in so much. It started about in the uh, middle school to junior high range, um, just the difficulty of life that I began to face. And without healthy context for who God was, I also had no idea who I really was. My identity—it's not that no one had ever told me, but I certainly didn't believe it because I didn't really know God at all. So um, the the biggest point in my life where things um, came to the surface—I was uh, 15 years old and um, I was hospitalized for attempted suicide after some things that had happened in school and um, just some some insurmountable. Things in my life that I did not know how to get through and mm-hmm. for myself and for my family my struggles became very public very fast mm-hmm. and so we're, walking in and working in church circles very much like I was growing up it became very problematic to find help that was not kind of laced with shame so I did have a counselor that I saw in private um, but even the conversations of the handful of people who understood what was going on, it was very shame driven. Like, how could you possibly do that? Or how could you consider that? Don't you know, you've been given every privilege, you know? And so instead of really healing during that time, as I potentially could have, I learned to stuff those struggles deeper and deeper and deeper down. Mm -hmm. And I learned to continue to produce a false self. On the surface and so that that manifested and it really pushed me through all of my early life the relationships that i had with men the the career choices that i made i mean i got to a point where i so wanted to look like i had it put together that i graduated from high school and joined the marine corps just so i could prove that i could <laughs> wow this is these are the lengths that i went to just to prove to everyone I've got this. I've got it all under control. Everything's fine. While deep, deep underneath the surface, I was still dealing with all of the same anxiety, the same stresses, struggles, and strains that I had always had. I had just learned how to compartmentalize better. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of all of these struggles, like my life went forward in a very, I don't know, normal way. I I went to college. I got married. I had a baby. I had this great career. um, And I was a high achiever in many ways, and that helped mask the struggles beneath. And I, I wore my perfectionism as a badge of honor, and I was a workaholic to the core. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point in my in my 30s where you know I all of the things I had been stuffing down for my whole life began to surface, and um, one family crisis brought brought me to a point where just everything that I had loved, everything I had put on a pedestal, everything earthly that I had been clinging to was brought down in a heartbeat. I was stripped bare and I got to a point where there was nothing left, but just me and God. Mm -hmm. And without his faithfulness to me, without his, his love and kindness and his grace to me, I don't believe that I ever would have healed from the things that I was struggling with. I struggled with addiction. I struggled with my mental health. I I dealt with an eating disorder for 17 years. And even though it had been, gosh, over 15 years since I had um, made an attempt on my life, thoughts about suicide were still rampant in my mind, even with the successes that I had had. So Bringing all of this to a head, finally entering into some good christ Center counseling, finally meeting the facet of God I call Holy Spirit <laughs> and getting mm-hmm. filled with him. It absolutely changed the way that I saw the world, not, not broadly, but also intimately. It changed the way that I saw God as a good mm-hmm. father. And it changed the way that I saw myself in him. So there was healing there, but I, I will tell you, it took so long on the journey for me to be able to tap into and find some of the healing from that early life trauma that we all need things that manifest in things like addictions and struggles with our mental health um god was faithful to deliver me and i know uh even in those early years of being on the other side of that healing like God lit a fire in me I just wanted to help people once mm-hmm. you see it you can't unsee it and so i asked him god give me give me something so that i can share this hope with others and so in the recovery space i did what any other good person called 11 lead in recovery would do like i started a 12-step meeting at my at my <laughs> church <laughs> what them to do <laughs> so we started meeting on Friday nights and um my husband and a a group of leaders at our church we were all really heavily involved for several years and as a recovery leader i i came to realize that even within some of these christ-centered 12-step programs that a one-size-fits-all approach to recovery from trauma with a intentionally christ-centered lens It just doesn't work for everyone, not in the way that we think. We are as lockstep and legalistic in our recovery programming as we are in our discipleship programming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really wild when you see the parallels between the two. So for several years, I I reached a point of just complete burnout in the space, and I just said, God, I know you've you've lit a fire in me. You've you've let me walk through this unbelievable testimony. I know you want me to help people, but what am I supposed to do? And I knew I needed to wait on Him to reveal mm-hmm. something because something big was coming. And then guess what happened? A pandemic shut the world down, <laughs> and the isolation that we all began to face mm-hmm. manifested in just unbelievable increases in numbers for addiction, for overdose-related deaths, for people struggling with their mental health. And even within the realm of the church, we we saw people with compassion and we saw people who cared like Jesus did, but not only are the actual doors of the church closed, when people came out of the woodwork, some of them for the first time and said, I'm struggling with my mental health. I don't know what to do with this isolation. We, the church, were painfully silent throughout mm-hmm. that we didn't have words for it while the rest of the world all you had to do was like stream something on hulu and you would see a commercial come on and say are you struggling with your mental health call this number right now there's yep. hope for you has nothing to do with jesus like where's the church and i i remember thinking to myself this is an opportunity god like i don't believe that god caused covid i don't believe in any punishments i don't believe that's His character but when things like this happen he will use them to right. find ways to draw us back in closer to himself. So on a personal level, he not only helped me dig deeper in that time to identify, wow, when you're isolated, there are some things in there that you may think you've healed from that can resurface. They mm-hmm. can come right back up again. And He and it's not condemning and it's not shameful. It's God saying, there's more in here that I want you to heal from. And there's even more that I want my whole world to heal from the the word says that God, in crisis and reconciling the whole world back to himself. And I truly believe it's in this space of recovery for people who are struggling with their mental health, for people who are struggling with addictions and compulsive behaviors. This is an opportunity where God is drawing people back to himself, wanting to love them as a good father. And in doing so, they will do so much more than just get sober. They will have their lives transformed and they will begin to make measurable progress toward a promised land life that God has already promised to us, it's a life that we're going to want to stay sober for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're not going to want to escape from it. So the, the vulnerability, the rawness of my own journey, I now know and understand the power of testimony. And Gina, it's one of the reasons that I love your podcast so much that that you bring people in to share stories. It's it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony Mm -hmm. that the world can understand just how good God is. And so I know this has been a big shift for me. The girl who would compartmentalize and be a different girl in every space. I am now just Britt Eaton. I am the same person, whoever I'm talking to, whatever group I'm sitting in front of, whatever group I'm addressing, it's just me. And it's Mm -hmm. so freeing and it's so beautiful. Being just me also comes with a level of vulnerability that some people find really uncomfortable. And, you know, there have been pieces of my, my journey and my story that I've been called to share publicly with, extreme caution because I certainly don't want to dishonor other people who have been involved in my story. But some of this stuff's hard to talk about when we talk about things like sexual assault, when we talk about things like, you know, bullying, when we talk about things like addiction and pornography and just all, all, all the different kinds of things that you might struggle with. There are other people involved in our stories. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when we show up vulnerable, it, it can put others at risk too. That being said, there are pieces of my journey that God has just given me so much grace and he has uh, been so faithful to speak to me and through me in sharing my testimony, sharing the words that he would have me share with the world. There really is hope there really is healing. And so I'm an open book, Gina. You can ask me anything. <laughs> and I will, I will happily touch on it and be as raw, real, and vulnerable with you as I can be. I know I'm not for everyone. I know there are people out there that some of these some of these harsh realities that I've faced and that I've overcome by the power of Jesus, it's a little too vulnerable for some people. And I'm aware of that. But my hope is that if we could all be just willing to listen, be Mm -hmm. willing to understand the world isn't always exactly what it seems. That girl who had the perfect facade on all those years, no one knew how Badly, I was hurting underneath Mm -hmm. and even opening up people's eyes to see what is it that we need to be looking for in the people that have it all put together, especially with the people who seem to have it all put together. Mm -hmm. How can we love and lead people? Well, how can we create safe environments where people can not only acknowledge the trauma that they're carrying, but share it openly and find healing from it? We go through the things that we go through so we can help others go through what we went through. I, I really believe that's, right. I look back on my life and some would say, well, God hasn't been faithful. Look at this and look at this and look at this. And I'll say, oh no, he was faithful every time.
0: Mm-hmm. And not only
1: that, he's now given me authority to speak to these issues even here and now. And so I, I might not be carrying like a 20 year record with addiction and you know all of that kind of stuff, but the dramatic life transformation that recovery has meant for me, it really is a call for the rest of the world to say, hey, church, how can we do recovery differently? How can we do it in the intentionally gentle and grace-filled way of Jesus? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to invite people into. And so it's such an honor to be able to talk to you on this show. And I'll tell you anything that you want to know about my (laughs) background or God's goodness as it pertains to that.
0: Oh, absolutely girl. You and I are more alike than, you know, um, cause my big stuff happened when I was 15 too. Mm-hmm. And so I completely been through the ringer and a lot of people didn't realize because I had that very, uh, hidden parts. I didn't share mm-hmm. it with too many people until actually pandemic.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I went through, I I talk about it in an earlier episode, episode nine, where Mm -hmm. I was going through my own personal healing journey at the beginning of 2020. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then when the whole world shut down, then anxiety hit and everything hit. And then it was all of a sudden like, crud, (laughs) like here I was every week doing this healing journey. And now we Mm -hmm. have to take off a week because it was through a local pregnancy choices center. Um, we, we had to figure it out and, I had to still go there, but be in a separate room because I couldn't get the full healing here at my home because my husband wasn't ready for that. He okay. wasn't ready to hear parts of my story and I wasn't ready to share. Okay. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hearing you really, I know it will really help people because I know how I've seen people helped through my story and mm-hmm. through me being willing to share those things. And Genesis fifty twenty is just huge. Like, you know, what Satan and other people have met for bad, God turns it around and brings good from it. And I truly believe that just the same as what you were talking. So one of the things that, um, really, like I said, we've been friends on the online circuit for a little while, Mm -hmm. but you put out a post on June 3rd of this year. Mm -hmm. And when I read it, some of the things I was reading, I literally felt like I was reading my own story. Wow. And can you talk about um, the post? Of and course. What the thought behind posting that?
1: Of course. So uh, in early June, I had a really unique opportunity my uh, hometown junior high school and high school um, are being torn down. Actually, they're down now, they're gone. (laughs) But um, all alumni were extended an invitation to go back and tour the old buildings uh, one Mm -hmm. last time to, I don't know, I think they intended it to be for a nostalgia piece. So you could go Mm -hmm. back and say, oh, and show your kids, oh, there was my locker, Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. And while I love the sentiment related to all of that, for myself, uh, those years in junior high and in high school were not years that I looked back on fondly. In fact, they were they were years where some of the deep-seated trauma that happened in those early teen years, it's, it's mind-boggling to me to think of what not only other kids might have said, because you know what, 14-year-old kids can be really dumb. And I'm sure yes. I said some really <laughs> dumb things too, and I've got mm-hmm. some grace for that, but Even some of the things that I would hear from coaches, from teachers, from instructors who should have been helping me dig deep to find my identity were in fact just tearing me down intellectually. And so, you know, even things like political manipulation and socioeconomic marginalization, I came from a pretty upper middle-class white bread family and neighborhood. And even Mm -hmm. I felt it. Even I knew there was some part of me that was either too much or not enough mm-hmm. at all times, at yeah. all times. And so going back to visit this building, I got to be honest with you, Gina, I'm like, woo, bring it on, tear it down, give me a hammer. I want to help. Like I, just, <laughs> I was like ready to stick it to whoever this establishment was. I don't even know exactly who I was angry with. Do you know, I can't even remember names of our administrators. Then, and then that's not okay. really what the point was. I. I don't think the people who were in positions of power at the time, this would have been 1994, I don't think people who were in positions of power at the time had context for what was happening, and and I know, I know, Gina, now, nowadays, I think about my own daughter who's 12, who, she just went into middle school, uh, sixth grade uh, this past year, and wow, the shift is so dramatic and so huge. You have to grow up so fast mm-hmm. in this age of internet. But even when we were younger, there were things going on behind the scenes that I don't think our administration or leadership had a grid for. I don't no. think people understood it. And part of talking about it now, I have no desire to go back and like have a me too moment and like point people out and be like, somebody owes me restitution. It's not right. it. Yeah, But I do want people to understand that even back then, even before online predators, even mm-hmm. before all of this, kids were still struggling. And the reason oh, that God. all of us are so bottled up and carrying so much shame is because there was no safe space to heal from it. Because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how you feel about your past experiences, and maybe you'll want to share some about, some about those. But with mine, the stigma surrounding some of the things that happened to me, oh, yeah. that, that made it to where I knew it somehow had to be my fault, the things right. that happened to me. It had to be my fault. It had to be, um, so, and it overwhelmingly was something that would bring shame to me and to my family if anyone ever knew. And mm-hmm. so I did what I learned to do best, just bottle it on down. Don't deal with it. Don't acknowledge it. Pretend like it never happened and only remember it when it shows up in your nightmares, which honestly it had been for me. Even, even you know, until I went to, tour of the building there were these central steps mm. in the middle of the building and in my nightmares as now a 41 year old woman I think back to these steps because these steps were the place where I had a full-on panic attack and I actually literally passed out on the steps oh, so overwhelmed with everything that was happening to me and I remember being taken from the school in an ambulance. And I remember just being like the topic of gossip in conversation, like what in the world happened to her? Did she have a heart attack? Like it, it, there are all these weird things. Yeah. But even then, no one responded with compassion or love mm-hmm. or saying, gosh, what's really going on here? Like you seem to have it all together on the surface like what's going on, let's go deeper together. And that was not available to me when I was younger. And I'll be honest with you, Gina. I think kids deserve better. Mm -hmm. I think they deserve better than that. And I'm not mad at anybody in particular. And I certainly cannot go back in my own experience and be the person that I needed during that time, knowing everything we know now, but I can be that person today. I can Mm -hmm. learn to acknowledge and, and deal with the signs of trauma, it not only in our youth, but people in their adulthood. Now that I've walked through this, I yeah. know the things to look for. I know right. the questions to ask to help people uncover and feel safe mm-hmm. to, to discuss these things. And so touring that building, the thing that um, kind of had an unexpected experience, honestly, when I went through mm-hmm. it, not only, okay, all of these emotions came swirling back Those those the smells, The creaks of the stairs, just like every little memory came back and walking into rooms and just feeling that trigger in my heart that just pulled up some of that trauma. But as I faced each room, each spot where I knew that trauma had taken place, something really powerful and really supernatural happened. The the rooms and the spaces and even those ominous stairs of my nightmares, they looked so small to me. Mm Really tiny. And I kept, my sister was walking with me and I kept saying, Do you remember this building is bigger? Like, I know maybe I was a little shorter back then, but (laughs) I I just saw this as huge and so scary and Mm -hmm. so ominous. But walking through it, encountering it now on the other side of recovery, on the other side of full spiritual restoration, I could stare at it and honestly say, Is this what I've been afraid of all these years? Mm -hmm. Is this what I was so angry about all these years? And to see how small it was, it, to me, it was just a message straight from the heart of God to my heart to say, baby, I'm so much bigger. I'm Mm -hmm. so much bigger than any of this ever was. I had you then and I've got you now and that, uh, that powerful transformation to be able to look at our past through a new covenant lens Mm -hmm. to see That past no longer has a hold on me anymore. That Mm -hmm. trauma that hurt me, my bad decisions that came about as the result of it, that is no longer who I am. But my story is richer for having walked through some of those traumatic pieces. I wouldn't wish my past on anyone, no one. And I don't ever want to see it repeated but what I went through has uniquely equipped and empowered me Mm -hmm. to help other people who are struggling today. And I believe we, as the church, we are meant to be the solution. We are meant to be that safe space where people can show up vulnerably where people can show up and know they belong before they even believe they belong. Mm -hmm. They are loved. They're welcome and we can put on full display for the whole world that God is a good father. Even if your father wasn't good, God is a good father. Right. He loves you, like really loves you. And he's already extended forgiveness. All you have to do is say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I, I really feel like we have so overcomplicated the sharing of the gospel. Because mm-hmm. if, if anyone had had these words for me when I was younger, I'm sure I would have been hungry for them. Mm-hmm. Hungry for them. But all I ever felt in those early years in in unpacking some of that trauma I you know just specific things like I there was a there was a closet the an upstairs closet in an art room where I remember being cornered by one of the jocks and he took advantage of me in the closet like things like that coming back to your mind mm-hmm. looking at it as an adult Gina I was able to have compassion for mm-hmm. myself for yeah. the first time because my eyes had been opened; like mm-hmm. scales fell off, and suddenly I could see. This is just a building. This yeah. is just these are just bricks, and it's just wood, and it's just rooms. The spiritual implications of what happened there were profound, and there's also a pretty cool spiritual implication for me knowing that that very space has been destroyed. I kind of love that yes. still. Yeah. I still kind of love that in my humanness. Oh yeah, but. I didn't even need the destruction to happen. I needed God to show up in that moment, remind me who I am now in him, that that little girl, she was protected by him this whole time. Even in my most desperate moments, I can look back and I could see Jesus where he was in that closet with me. Mm -hmm. I could see where he was on those stairs with me. And now that I have fresh eyes to see it, I can actually see myself and say, oh, sweet girl, this was not your fault. Mm -hmm. This was not your fault, and it's okay. So, part of my mission and and really loving and leading people well in the recovery space is to encourage leaders and those of us walking out our own journeys to really try to go beneath the surface struggles that we see. Mm -hmm. If people are coming, and even if they're outwardly asking for help, for freedom from an addiction of some kind, or if they're really wrestling with their mental health, like, many recovery leaders will be like, okay, we'll go do your 12 steps and read your Bible and don't do it anymore. <laughs> just don't, don't do it anymore. Stop sinning. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> if you, if I could have just done it in my own strength, I would have people, right. I would have, right. but really getting underneath that surface level struggle to say, hmm, why is it that this is what we turn to? Mm -hmm. What part of our lives are we so desperate to escape from? What part of our realities seem better when we're under the influence or when we're even mentally closed off to them? What do we do to compartmentalize and Mm self-protect? And even those who are struggling with, with things like addiction and compulsive behaviors, and I've struggled with all this stuff, if you hurt badly enough, you will do anything to get away from that pain, anything mm-hmm. to get away from it. You will use anything you can to get away. And ultimately until the pain of using, until the pain of compartmentalization, until the pain of the bad behavior becomes so bad that it's no longer sustainable. Some people will call that rock bottom. Like you hit a point. There's some, there was a moment when you mm-hmm. knew I can't go on like this. Even when you hit that moment, that's when relapse can really start to be a problem. That's when mm-hmm. we can so quickly go back into old ways of thinking, because some of us have been carrying these traumas our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there are te- there's testing out there that I actually talk about in my new book um, with George Wood, The Uncovery. There's there's a test called the ACEs test, and it basically mm-hmm. draws a correlation from early, early life trauma and the propensity toward addiction and struggles with mental health. So we're talking like infancy level abandonment, physical abuse. There are so many types of trauma that you can encounter that we are not even cognitively aware of because we were still in our infancy or still toddlers. It's possible now to find healing from some of this, because some of the, the research in the scientific community, I tell you what, if there are churchy people out there listening saying, you don't need therapy, you don't need medication. Mm -hmm, You don't mm -hmm. need psychiatrists Mm -hmm. out there to help. I'm telling you right now, that is, that is straight from the pit of hell. That is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The scientific community does not see us as a threat and we do not need to see them as a threat either, because guess what? God created it all, all of its science. And I'm not going to sit here and debate about seven days, this blah, blah, blah. I don't even care, but I will tell you right now, the research, the neuroscience research that is coming out about the brain's ability to heal from early life trauma that happens, mm-hmm. it is wild when you see the correlations to lasting recovery. Mm-hmm. This is why, when, gosh, when we're looking at recovery programming, Christ-centered recovery programming, things that are usually within the walls of the church, just like the gospel, a one-size-fits-all approach rarely works right if ever because it's not personalized it's not right. about relationship it's about religion mm-hmm. it's about steps to follow and boxes to check and it's it's knowing about god it's not actually knowing him mm-hmm. so and i'm certainly don't hear what i'm not saying if you are doing a 12-step meeting and it is doing great, please don't stop. Keep right. doing, if it's working for you, do it. If you, I love AA, I love NA, I love Celebrate Recovery. I love any kind of therapy, rehab programming that is trying to come alongside and love and lead people well. Yeah. But if we can embrace what the spiritual community and the scientific community have to offer and then be flexible enough in our approach to say, 12 steps might not be enough steps for this person. Right. So, what do we need to do to come alongside people and love them well? What do we need to do to not say, just pray this prayer and you'll be fine, or let's try to cast that demon out of you? Maybe, maybe it is a demon. Maybe it is. But being sensitive to what God is actually calling you to do as you mm-hmm. love and lead people well, it yeah. starts with humility. It really does. Because people, Janet, people who are hurting will feel much more safe with someone like me if they know what my past was like, if they know what I have been delivered from, if they know that I can testify to God's goodness, if he actually helped me build a life that I want to stay sober and mind for. Mm -hmm. I want this. That is where the transformation comes in. So in the work that I do with my friend, George, and in in recovery circles everywhere, my my whole goal is for people to understand unfathomably good grace of God. I want them to know how loved and forgiven they are. But more than that, I'm not just trying to get you sober. I'm not just trying to make sure you're at your Friday night meeting so you can sign your paper and check your box. Oh, no, I want to see so much more than that. I want to see your life transformed by Mm -hmm. the power of the holy spirit i've seen it i'm living it out right now i know how good god is and i want everybody else to know too
0: oh girl (laughs) (laughs) i i just amen to all of that i just got through in may sorry i was keeping an eye side note i was keeping an eye on my cat my dog because my Uh cat was having issues at the door and (laughs) little miss hazel just came back in here so here i'll show you real quick because now you can see her Oh, so cute. So anyways, back to the conversation. Um, Let me set my computer down. Um, I just went through in the month of May having conversations with people who've battled and who are still living with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the topics we did talk about, which you did talk about earlier is, you know, the the way that people come at it, even in the church, come Mm -hmm. across with mental health, um, mm-hmm. all of those issues we kind of talked about that so I love the fact that you brought that up again and mm-hmm. we got to keep the conversation continuing on that yeah. um, when when you were talking about things from middle school and high school and stuff um, me personally I had the same thing happen in my high school where a lot of the stuff that happened they were tearing the building down and they did the same thing. Hey, who wants to come? Who wants to do this? Who wants to do that? And, you know, there was things in the high school that brought back a lot of bad memories. I'll share one. Okay. The guy I was dating, he was one of those nice guys at first became abusive. Okay. Um, and he had designed a wildcat. It was a um, design that ended up on t-shirts, ended up on the wall in the freaking school.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And...
0: It was a wild cat in a straight jacket with a ball and chain attached.
1: Whoa.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And that's what was going on at the time with me. So not only did I have to deal with all the stuff, we'll put it that way, that he Mm -hmm. was putting me through. I also had to see it on my friends via shirts. I had to see it on this huge wall in my school at the bottom of a staircase in the very front of the school. I had to see it every day and so that that rest of my sophomore year even it it, until it got taken away and I don't even know I can't even remember if it was taken away during my time there Mm -hmm. but it was awful that I had to see that every single day and so when you speak of things in the school bringing back even though that wall was gone for a long time before my um uh, my oldest nephew got there mm-hmm. every time i still walked into that building i still felt the things yeah. and like i said that school's been gone for a couple of years now my nep- my second oldest is in high school now and mm-hmm. um our middle school is now becoming the elementary school because they just finished building the new middle school and mm-hmm. so now when i walk into that building There's still some things that come up from that, but knowing that high school's gone and what I dealt with there, you're right. It isn't as, you know, was back when we were 14, 15, 16, 17. It's not as big Mm -hmm. as what we were then. Yeah. But being able to go there and like say goodbye to all the crap and then to watch it go online, you know, watch the videos, watch the pictures. My one friend hit a drone every day up through there when they were tearing it down it was like, uh, ugh, like instant breathing. Yeah. And well, it's dealing with that. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so, it's so complicated. Even when I, I did that post on Facebook, it was, it was funny because there were many friends that I had from middle school and high school that read the post. And I mean, it, it was so funny how they almost came out of the woodwork, like trying to apologize because they didn't have a similar experience. They're like, my gosh, I didn't know that that happened to you. That wasn't my experience, but thank you so much for being brave and saying. And I'm just like, you don't have to feel bad if that didn't happen to you. I'm so glad it didn't. I'm so glad that some of my trauma is mine alone. Right. I I grieve for people who I know had it worse than me Mm -hmm. and others who might never be given by God the courage to share it openly um, and to potentially help others out. But I had countless more people reach out and say, wow, I had similar experiences. This was really hard. And thank you for sharing that because I felt so alone. Yeah, I felt, and no one, we all have trauma. We all have some kind of trauma. And sometimes we don't know how to acknowledge it as trauma because Mm -hmm. trauma isn't the same for everyone. Trauma isn't actually what happens to you. That's not what the trauma is. Trauma is what happens inside of you because mm-hmm. of what happens to you and right. that is different for every person and it's why you know some people can experience incredibly difficult situations and abuse and oppression and they can break out of it really quickly and seemingly easily while others will struggle for the rest of their lives that doesn't mean they're better or worse but trauma is so unique it's so right. personal that our willingness to share it I But like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, I didn't write that post and I didn't share it. I didn't even know that I was going to share it. But when I did, I didn't do so to stick it to the man or be like, oh, this establishment was terrible. Somebody owes me an apology. It wasn't even that. It was about saying, wow, like it doesn't matter how far gone you are. It doesn't matter how deep into the depths of despair you are. God is right there. He was right there with me the whole time. Mm -hmm. And to be in this season of life, to walk through something like that, when my daughter is about to enter into that season of life, when I struggled Mm -hmm. so much, wow, it is unbelievable to know he is also with her every Mm -hmm. step that she's taking right now, no matter the things that he'll protect her from that I'll never see. And even the things that he's with her while she's enduring it, God is good. His story for our lives, it's redemption.
0: That's yes. what it is. And if we
1: never had anything to heal from, we wouldn't need the healer himself. Mm-hmm. So it's wild to look at a broken world. And I love some elements of watching this broken world crumble, seeing those old idols fall. Like it's, yes. it's, it's poetic, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But my bigger question isn't about digging into why, my bigger question is what now? Mm-hmm. What will we do now? Those of us who have endured this and we've said enough is enough, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're not only going to step up, show love to people who are hurting and help them heal in different ways. What are we doing to stop these systemic problems that are leading people to struggle in the first place? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of world should I have ended up in the art room closet with some boy at school? Mm-hmm. How was that a thing? Like, where were the teachers? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. What? How did happen? Yeah, so, just understanding it's not just about a school building systemically when we're looking at poverty when we're looking at socioeconomic barriers when we're looking at political divide we have to get to the root of this and say we're all created with the same divine DNA Mm -hmm. we're all created equal we're all beloved children of God I really do believe that and if that's true what is working well right now in society and life and even in recovery spaces. Let's continue to do that. What's not working well? Yeah. What do we need to let go of? And I don't care who's granddaddy invented it and we've always been doing it this way. Guess what? If it is not (laughs) working anymore, we need to let it go. We need to be willing to surrender it. Yeah. And only in doing that with humility, will we be able to hear the voice of God? Will we be able to have these grand Sanctified imaginations that can dream up solutions that we could never come up with on our own. Mm-hmm. This is this is the privilege that we have. People who have endured hardship, we have a passion for making sure that future generations do not have to walk through what we walked through. Amen. We we are the ones who can institute the change in church. I believe we have responsibility in this. It's not some social justice message. I'm not even trying to make it political, but I'm looking at it and saying what's working and what's not right. And then finally asking God, what more would you have us try? Mm-hmm. What more would you have us do? And if he says nothing, great, keep going, keep doing what you're doing Ro- like rocket. But if he asks you to do something more, would you be willing? Would you be willing to try? Would you be willing to enter into a new conversation? Would you be willing to be real and vulnerable with the world in order to share hope and let others know that they're not alone? Would you be willing to testify to God's goodness about his healing in your own life Mm -hmm. so that you can share that hope with others so they can find it too? Mm -hmm. This is the gospel, right? This is the great commission. It's not about walking around with tracks and, you know, big boards on our our front (laughs) on the street corner that say, repent, the end is near for crying out loud. The gospel is just pointing people to a good God who loves them and letting them know Every sin, every struggle they've ever faced, every difficult thing they will ever encounter in this world has been taken care of by the Mm -hmm. shed blood of Jesus. Healing is available to you now. And I'll spend the rest of my life pointing people in that direction and saying, let me walk you to meet the healer himself. Mm -hmm. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, do I want you to be sober? Yes. Do I want you to be of sound mind? Yes, I absolutely do. I don't care if you relapse a hundred times. If you encounter the living God, that is what is going to transform your life, right? It's not going to be about trying harder. It's not going to be about figuring out a new solution or a new um, boundary or barrier that you even need to set up. If you meet and truly encounter the living God, it will transform your life. Goodness and evil cannot coexist inside one person. It can't happen. So God will lovingly invite you on a journey, this journey of recovery, where whether it's instantaneous, miraculous delivery, which I've seen and I believe for, or if it is a lifelong journey of progressive healing, Lean into what he says about you, about your life. You are not the sum of your experiences. You are not the sum of the abuse against you. You are not the sum of your addictions, your struggles with your mental health. You are not the sum of your thoughts about suicide. None of that is you. You are a beloved child. You are a saint indwelled by the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is speak the name of Jesus and these things that would would try to cling to you, have to flee. But let me tell you what, this is the big piece. This is the thing that I think is key and it's missing in most recovery circles. What you need to walk that out authentically, knowing you have authority over sin in your life, over addiction and pain, over trauma in your life, you have to walk out your recovery in the context of authentic community. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to find people who are similar to people like me, who have a journey, who have a story, who have been there and who welcome you with open arms to share openly, freely, without judgment so that you can dig deep and find the healing. Mm-hmm. I will be honest with you. And this pains me because I wanna see reform. Most traditional recovery programming does not operate within the context of authentic community. Mm-hmm. Nowhere you show up and have to be perpetually anonymous are you in authentic community? Mm-hmm. Now, we can create places, especially early on in our recovery, who might not be ready to wear everything right on our sleeve. And that's absolutely appropriate. You don't have to not be anonymous. You can stay. But ultimately, true healing comes from being fully known and fully loved by mm-hmm. God and by others. We can't do this if we just go to those Friday night meetings in secret for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. We must be willing to walk out our recovery outside of the meeting, outside of the therapist office, out in the context of not just your church family, because that can be even weirder than a 12 step meeting. You feel like you have to hide (laughs) in plain sight, but to find people who are truly authentic community that you can truly do life with, be real with, who understand you, know your story, know the healing journey that you're on and say, I'll walk it out with you. This is the kind of community that I believe we, the church, are called to be. Mm -hmm. And the the difficult part about all this, and I know you've seen it because good grief, we went for almost two years with the pandemic where people couldn't worship, couldn't gather, couldn't go to church except for on Zoom. And that was all, I mean, we did the best that we could, I think, Yeah. there's a bigger problem. Now that the doors are starting to open back up again, people aren't sure that they really missed church Mm -hmm. because the communities they were a part of were not authentic. They weren't really real. Yeah. And then once they couldn't have the thing they thought they wanted, they realized, I'm not sure that was really helping me in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so you see right now, it, and people are calling it all kinds of things. They're calling it a deconstruction movement. And there's lots of pain and stigma associated with all of that. But let me tell you right now, people are leaving the church, but they're not giving up their faith. Mm-hmm. They love Jesus they're chasing after him and they're following him in some cases, right outside of the church doors. Mm. Like we got to wake up folks. we got to wake up. We have got to do recovery differently. We have got to do church differently. We don't need to build a church. We need to go be the church. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to love someone who would never come to church on a Sunday morning? If you would invite them, how can you be an authentic community and do authentic life with them? What can you do to love the unlovable? What can you do to step out in humility, to be real with someone, to follow God's lead? I believe this will bring about the revival in the church that we all want to see Mm -hmm. when we're not clinging to the structure. And I'm certainly not anti-church. Oh my goodness gracious. I want to see the church, the bride of Christ completely restored. Mm -hmm. I think it'll have less to do with the building and it'll look a lot more like the axe church when we're all, when all is said and done but it's in this context of authentic community that we can find the healing necessary for the life transformation that we're all seeking. Those of us who are struggling, the transformed life that will lead you straight into the promised land. This is, this is what God has spoken over us, over his people. There is a land flowing with milk and honey and it is available to you. Now, if you don't have... This authentic community, if you're like, okay, well, that's not my church. That's not my small group. That's not my friend group, whatever. I don't even know. Yes. You need to, you do need to pray for this community. You need to say, father, you got to give me somebody, give me somebody, even one person, give me somebody. But let me tell you what, and I've learned this the hard way. If you want that true, authentic community, you are going to have to show up and be willing to bring it. Mm -hmm. Even if it means there will be times where people reject you. Yep when you step out and you share your story, when you testify to God's goodness over your journey and it offends people, that's how you know you're doing it right. Yep, (laughs) I know, Yeah, You're doing it right. So if you really want and need that authentic community, start by being it for even one other person, Mm -hmm. even one other person. Because let me tell you what, this kind of kingdom vulnerability, it's contagious. It's so freeing. People want it so bad to feel safe to feel unconditionally loved, unconditionally chosen, unconditionally welcome. They need it so badly. Yes, there's doctrine. There are things that we need to deal with. The sin is sin and we're going to call it sin, but for crying out loud, create a safe space for people to come, even just to be with you. And that will grow from there. But yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. church. It's gonna be a lot for us to rise up and to be this bride of Christ. I, I often tell um my co-author George for the uncovery. I'm not sure if we'll see that community come together in its fullness, even in my lifetime. I'm not sure if I'll see it the way that that God has casted the vision to me, but I know it has to start somewhere, and I want to be just like the reformers. I think it's absolutely no coincidence that it was 500 years ago in 2017 that the Reformation happened, the Protestant Reformation happened, um, and now 500 years later, we are perhaps seeing the next biggest shift, religious shift, in the Church of Jesus Christ. We've never seen anything like this. It's bizarre, like (laughs) culture has never been weirder than it ever has been. And it's not about perfecting doctrine. It's about chasing after the heart of God, after his true character and to acknowledge that he's alive. He -hmm. is still speaking. And if he's still speaking, what are we doing to listen? Mm -hmm. We can't keep doing it the way we've always been doing it. My loves, it is not working anymore. It's not working. It's time to step out in faith to ask God, what more would you have us do? What would you do to bring about reform? And then just give him your unbridled yes. Just say yes.
0: That was just good on every single level. I love this conversation so much. I was not only sitting here, not in my head, like amen and everything you were saying, but I was also challenged at the same time. So I love this so much. And I know that, um, people will love this conversation as well. And
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I praise I just, Jesus, praise just, Jesus, like all him.
0: Amen. Amen. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I just have two more questions for you while you were going through your healing journey. Mm-hmm. And as you're working through everything and You know, if you have, when you have setbacks, because we all do, what verses keep you anchored?
1: So I have one life verse and Mm -hmm. even through all of the wild, wildly different experiences that God has brought me through, uh, the one that sticks out to me the most in the verse that has stuck with me all these years was one that he gave me, um, kneeling by my, my foot locker in basic training for the Marine Corps when I was 18 years old. Um, that was in the time where I was still heavily compartmentalized. Everything about my life was striving improving. but I had never been away from home for that long before. I was so lonely. I was so scared. It was so isolating. It's so weird. I was questioning every part of my life, every <laughs> life decision I had ever made. And uh-huh. in basic training, they give you one of those little green Gideon Bibles. And I was like, well, that's ideal. Cause I, did, I didn't even bring a Bible with me to basic training. I didn't even bring one. So I was like, okay, fine. So I sat down and I did that desperation thing that people do. And I just said, okay, God, I'm going to open up the Bible and whatever you turn to, just tell give go. me something, yeah. give me anything. Are you up there? God, mm-hmm. I turned to Psalm 34, four. It was really simple, really sweet, but it said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I don't know in that moment if I really believed it. I mm-hmm. I was just like, "That's interesting," and I got a little a little verklempt. I was I was I got a little tear. I think mostly because of the fear of my surroundings, but that verse it it was such a prophetic thing over my life up to that point and my life for what would be, gosh, the next twenty years until God really started to solidify and bring to full fruition the goodness of his glory in my life i sought the lord and he heard me mm-hmm. in that stupid moment in the way that i was reaching out to him in all the wrong dumb ways like no church would tell you oh open your bible and just pick a verse That's <laughs> not how you, it's not how you build relationship with the god of the universe but you got to start yep he met me right there yep and that verse just stuck and then every trial i came to from that day forward, I can still point back and say, that's it. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Amen. Praise Jesus. Yes. It's so good.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Wow. <laughs> I just love how I just, and we both come from the era of the late nineties movements. So, cause I'll be 43 here next week. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we all come from that, that era per se. So there was a lot of just crack open the Bible and see what verse you land on. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, you know, God, God was just happy that we opened
1: it. So like so much grace.
0: Yes. So there much <laughs> there's grace for all of us and grace in the small beginnings.
1: Yeah, it really is. So good. So good. I love that.
0: Yeah, I do too. And your book's coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. is anything that people can uh, pre-order your book and go get.
1: Yes, and I'm so excited to share it with anyone who's listening. So (laughs) my new book uh, written with Pastor George A. Wood is called The Uncovery. And it's basically going deeper to reform Christ-centered recovery as we know it through the power of authentic community. So I'm so excited to share this book with you. It is available now on pre-order on Amazon yes. or, at, or at shoptheword.com, which is another book uh, Christian book ordering site. So you can go ahead and pre-order your copy right now and it will be delivered to you on July 26th, the day that the book releases. So get in there, get your copy, not just because you want to be one of the first to read it, but If you pre-order the book, we have created some special resources for you exclusive to pre-orders. So if you go to theuncoverybook.com, you can enter in your Amazon or shop the word order number into the form that is there and you will get exclusive access to video curriculum for each chapter that George and I created back in October. We're so excited to give you access to that. So you can watch that as a leadership team. You can watch it on your own. You can watch it in your own recovery group and see if there's something that God might be inviting you into. You will also get for free, if you pre-order, a downloadable PDF leader guide to help you and your leadership teams walk through the Uncovery and ask some of those critical questions about what is God saying to us in this and what are we going to do about it? So you can get your book on Amazon and then go to theuncoverybook.com, enter in your information and you will have immediate access to those resources.
0: I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Any last minute encouragement for my listeners?
1: Yeah. So if you're listening right now, there's just something that I want to speak over you and pray over you. And that is that you are so unfathomably loved by God. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're walking through. I don't care what your story is. I don't care how stuck in the throes of sin you think you are. I want to let you know right now, you are so much more than just a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you believed it, your life will show up with the power to overcome sin, with the power to overcome trauma, to lead you into that transformed life. I want you to know how loved you are by God. I want you to know how forgiven you are by God right now. All you need to do is receive him in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna lead you to pray some sinner's prayer. Do you know that prayer is not actually in the Bible? It's really interesting that we've written several versions of it, but in that repentance, just say, God, you're so amazing. I don't know why you love me the way that you do. Thank you so much for loving me. I receive your grace. I receive your grace in full in my life right now. I'm so sorry for partnering with anything that was ever not of you. And God, I receive you in full. I receive your love. I receive your grace. And I receive your provision over my life to step into that promised land life that you have for me, God. That place flowing with milk and honey of freedom and of life. This is accessible to you right now. All you have to do is say yes. So I love you all. You are unfathomably loved by God. You are forgiven. And I can't wait for you to tap into the community that he has for you to find healing, lasting healing in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you again so much, Britt, for all of that. My
1: pleasure, my honor.
0: Absolutely, guys. Go follow her and hang out with her because you'll be floored just like I was because it just is what it is. So, all right. I love you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I pray that God taught you something through the story of the person you just listened to and that their encouragement really does have a positive influence on your day and on your walk with God. If this positive, If this podcast has done that for you, please go leave a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts and just let people know uh, what this podcast has done for you so that they can direct other people to come listen. I really appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. God bless and talk to you next week.